Welcome to the Family Bible Journey. Did you know that when you subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram, that you actually make it easier for other people to find the Family Bible Journey? So please, follow and subscribe. And thank you for listening. This is Episode 8, Season 1 of the Family Bible Journey Old Testament Podcast. Today we're looking at Genesis chapters 10 and 11. The title of today's podcast is Cover the Earth. Our key verses for today's podcast are Genesis chapter 11, verses 4 to 8. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing they propose will be now impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. This is the word of the Lord. In these chapters, we see how the generations of Noah are going to spread out to quite literally cover the earth. And with God's special blessing, that blessing that he gave to Adam and Eve first in the garden, and now he gives to Noah and his sons and their families as they disembark the ark, we see that it is quite possible that humanity was able to cover the earth in a time frame that is much shorter than what many people would like to suggest. In order to help listeners figure out how this is quite possible, I've actually put a chart up on the social media, and it covers how quickly humanity would have exploded on the face of the earth given this special blessing of God had each generation, if we give each generation 30 years to have children, 30 childbearing years, and if each family had 10 healthy children who themselves would grow into reproducing human beings, how quickly the earth would be filled with humanity. Now, just think, we're not used to seeing birth rates at 10 children per family, but these folks do have healthier bodies. They live in an environment that is much less polluted, the environment that we live in. They also don't have things like birth control. They don't have the many ways of being entertained and distracted as we do. And so it is quite likely that they were multiplying at rates much quicker than what we see, especially around the developed world today. And in our chart, the assumption is that those three sons of Noah and their wives, six individuals would have 10 children per family. That's five healthy children who themselves would survive to the age of childbearing per individual. And what we see is quite remarkable, and it really helps to illustrate the power for us of compound math. So what I did was I charted the population of each generation from the time of Noah until the end of Noah's life. The Bible tells us that Noah lived 350 years after they came off of the ark, and so that would have been about 12 generations that could have lived if we figure 30 years per generation. First generation, population 30. Second generation, population 150. Third generation, 750 human beings running around on the earth. And this is, of course, besides Noah and his sons and the previous generation. So 90 years after they're off the ark, it's very likely that there were 750 human beings living on the earth. Fourth generation, 3,750. Fifth generation, 18,750. Sixth generation, 93,750 human beings. So less than 200 years after getting off of the earth, it is quite likely there are well over 100,000 people running around on planet earth. And this is where the numbers really start to take off. Seventh generation, 468,750 human beings. Eighth generation, 2,343,750 human beings. 
Ninth generation, 11,718,750 human beings. Tenth generation, this is 300 years after Noah and his sons get off the ark, we see 58,593,750 human beings. Eleventh generation, 292,968,750 human beings. And in the twelfth generation, if Noah died 350 years after the flood, this would have been the generation during which Noah would have died. We see a, a population of that generation of being 1,464,843,750 human beings. In other words, it is quite likely, and this agrees very much with what we see in the archaeological record, that humanity seems to spring up and civilizations seem to spring up all around the earth at roughly the same time. So it is quite likely that by the end of the life of Noah, you have billions, that's billions with a B, human beings running around on planet earth, inhabiting, populating, taking over, developing, farming, all of it happening before the end of the life of Noah. And so this gives us as Christians good reason to trust the biblical narrative because when we just consider the power of compound math and we use realistic assumptions for the basis of the growth of humanity, we can see that before Noah has even died, it is quite likely that there were billions of human beings living on planet Earth. And these human beings, unfortunately, are no better in quality, ethically and morally it appears, than their forebearers, the people who were wiped out before the flood. We've already covered the unfortunate incident between Noah and his son in the previous chapter. We also see now that as the people are moving away from the ark, that they are hanging out, they're staying together, and they decide that they are going to build for themselves a monument. They are going to build the Tower of Babel. And on chapter 11, verse 4, I have one of those words of wisdom sections. It says, pride comes before a fall. This is biblical wisdom. This isn't just my wisdom. You can see the same thought repeated in Proverbs chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. But as they come together, they decide that they're going to build a tower to the heavens. They're going to build a monument to themselves. They want to stay together. They want to live together. They want to party all day long. And they want to be boss. They want to be in charge. The same sin that was alive in Adam and Eve isn't alive in them at that time. And they decide that they're going to build this tower. And we're told that God comes down. And when he sees the tower, he says in a conversation amongst himself, which of course makes sense if you believe in a triune God, that if he doesn't confuse their language, nothing would be impossible for human beings. And this is where confusion happens. The pride of humanity that had set itself once again over and above God and his purposes causes the confusion of language which disperses these nations around the earth. And we are so used to living in a world where there are people with a variety of languages, where it is hard for us to communicate, that I don't think that we fully appreciate how difficult and what a setback this is for humanity. Look at technology and artificial intelligence and how companies like Google and Apple are trying to come up with ways to undo this babble with this translation software. You know, many people spend years of their lives trying to learn language. And life would be so much easier, communication would be so much easier if we all conversed in the same language. I read a fascinating article one time that talked about the disadvantage that Chinese scientists are at because they don't speak English as a native language. You may not realize, but over 90% of the scientific journals that are published around the world are published in the English language. And so a native English speaker has a tremendous advantage because the years that it would take someone who speaks a different language to learn the English language, they can direct wholly and fully to their research. The article that I read suggested 
that in order for the Chinese researcher, the Chinese scientist's English to be proficient enough to be published in an English journal, that oftentimes they need to take six whole years of study and to be published in a scientific journal, that's where you get noticed. That's where your ideas can really take off and become popular and where information is shared. And we all know how important science and technology is and the great potential and power that it has to improve the quality of life here on planet Earth and drive important parts of our life like economy and business and communication. The fact that there are many scientists whose ideas aren't able to be shared with the world because of this barrier of language is evidence of how the confusion of the Tower of Babel still holds humanity back today. It's something that we don't even think about. It's something that we take for granted. But as we read through these stories and we consider the impact of these changes and the confusion that has been caused by human pride and that God has saddled us with with the confusion of human languages, we begin to see how much these differences in languages really hold us back as a human race. And this is by God's design. This is a consequence of stubborn human willfulness and pride that was leading them away from God. And so God gives them this consequence. He gives them this confusion of language so they would not be able to turn completely from him and make a God of themselves. No, this is one of the many consequences of sin. And this is often what happens in our own life. The consequences that we experience because of the sin that we commit, it draws us back to God. It shows us our deficiencies. It shows us our mistakes. It shows us the error of our ways. And we learn from these things so that we can grow from these things. And as we're taking this journey through the Bible, we're going to see exactly that is what's going to happen, that God's people are going to be no better morally or ethically in many cases than the folks around them. But as they learn from their mistakes, as they learn from the consequences of their sin, they are drawn continually closer and closer to God because the goodness of his love and mercy and grace shines ever brighter the darker the circumstances of his people find themselves in. But even though these two chapters are largely about the spread of humanity and the confusion of the human language, chapter 12 does not end until we are introduced to a man named Abram, who is going to be for us the first patriarch. So God's promise that he is going to rescue and redeem humanity from the confusion and sin that is commonplace in our lives is now continuing to take shape and take form. And God's focus, the focus of this narrative, is now going to come down to one man and one family, and Abram is going to be the first patriarch, the next link in the family line of the Savior that God has promised for his people. If you want to get in touch with us, the best way is through the contact form on our website at familybiblejourney.com. We love hearing from our listeners. As we turn our attention now to Abram and begin to follow this promise of God's Savior, we conclude today's podcast with a blessing. May God's promise of a Savior give you hope as you live your life in a world covered with proud and confused human beings who are always searching for more, yet never seem satisfied. Amen.